What a good reminder for us, uh, me as well, that through it all, uh, it is well. Uh, God is good. We serve a good God, and He watches over us at all times. So my uh, better half is not here uh, this weekend. She is in South Carolina for a baby shower. My sister-in-law is uh, having twins. Uh, She's been married for uh, 13 years, and they've been trying for eight, and these are their first kids, so they're more than excited to to finally be able to have that big blessing and kids. So she's there. Uh, I feel kind of lost without Jamie here. Uh, You might notice I I forgot a belt this morning. I feel a bit exposed. Uh, That's because my uh, better half is not here this morning. So just pay no attention. Eyes up here. I forgot my belt. I know it. I'm sorry. Thankfully, though, I've been at good work with my preacher belly these first couple months, and my pants aren't falling. So thank goodness for the preacher belly. So last week, uh, we, we took a look at what was central to the life, ministry, and message of Jesus. Um, and many people have all sorts of ideas as far as what was central to the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. As, as we took a look that Jesus lived over one billion minutes ago. That, that's a long time ago that Jesus uh, was alive and preaching to these people. And so there's a lot of time for people to get mixed ideas on what exactly he, he preached about and what was so important to him. And so last week, rather than believing just what everybody else says, we, we, took a, we took a look at what Jesus himself said in the book of Matthew and what those close to him and, and what people did, talked about and preparing the way for him. And we saw that Jesus himself, from the very beginning of his ministry, he's preaching about the kingdom. And Jesus, with his, with his 12 disciples, he, he sent them out and he said to his 12 disciples, proclaim this message. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We look at John the Baptist as he prepared the way for Jesus. What was his message? His message was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We see over and over and over again this message of the kingdom in the gospel, in the three gospel books, the four gospel books. Over and over again, we see Jesus and those close to him preaching about the gospel. That was so important to him. We saw Luke 4.43 that Jesus said he was sent For the purpose to preach the good news of the kingdom. He was sent to preach the good news of the kingdom. That's how important the message of the kingdom was to Jesus. And so if it was important to Jesus over 2,000 years ago, then it should be important to us as well. That's what our message, that's what our ministry should be centered around. is centered around the good news of the gospel of the kingdom. And so with that said, we're going to spend the next couple of weeks talking about the the good news of the kingdom because it is good news. We we have a bright future ahead of us if we give our life over to God through Jesus Christ, our Savior and our mediator. We have such good news. And so we're going to spend a couple of weeks talking about what exactly this kingdom looks like because it can be a bit confusing at times because it's not really talked about a whole lot in Christian circles in general. It's starting to gain more track and people are starting to talk about it more and more, which is great. But you might have some fuzzy images on what exactly uh, the kingdom is going to be like. And so today, uh, we're going to start off at looking at a timeline leading up, a timeline of events leading up to the kingdom, to, to our glorious hope. And so with that said, we'll, we'll go ahead and take a look at four events. The four events that we're going to take a look at is we're going to start at Christ's return. Then we're going to talk about the 1,000-year reign. And then we're going to talk about a great white throne. 
And then we're going to talk about Jesus delivering the kingdom to his God and his Father and our God and our Father. So with that said, uh, we will go ahead and start uh, with Christ returns. So on Easter Sunday, we, we talked about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And uh, Jesus, he died uh, on the cross, but he rose victoriously on that third day. And Jesus now is sitting at the right hand of God. And we can see that uh, over and over again in the New Testament as Psalm 110 uh, verse 1, the most quoted uh, verse in the New Testament, states that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God. So Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God right now. And Jesus is awaiting the command from his God to come down to this earth. He's going to come one day. Many people have different ideas on when he is going to return. We can't know for certain when Christ is going to return. Jesus himself doesn't even know when he's going to return. Only God knows. Only, only the Father knows. But I do know that it will come to a surprise as many. As Jesus Christ himself said, that I'll come like a thief at night when nobody is expecting it. So we have to be ready at all times for the return of Christ. And now when Christ returns... The saints, the Christians who have died, are going to be resurrected at his coming, at his return to this earth. And we see proof of this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 through 18. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. It's near the end of your Bible. It's before 2 Thessalonians, if you're curious. I know, I know, I'm smart. <laughs> You're smart too, because I'm guessing you knew 1 Thessalonians came before 2 Thessalonians as well. So some of you may be familiar with this passage, uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, because it's often a passage that is used uh, at a time for a funeral. Uh, this, this passage was put on the program for my grandfather's a funeral, which I have to this day, and I, and I can see these words, these words of comfort for those that we have lost. And so, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, Paul writes, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who do, as, as others do who have no hope. A bit of a tongue twister there for me. I don't know why. But, but here... This is comforting for me. It reaffirmed me that I'm not on my own. Because let me tell you, let me tell you this, this sad moment in my life. Because, you know, at night sometimes, uh, Jamie, she goes to bed before me. And there I am, all by myself, just hanging out in the living room. And all I want to do is just watch a movie with her or play a game with her. But she's asleep. But Paul reaffirms me that I'm not the only one who grieves for those who are sleeping. Because, I mean, i got to wait a full eight hours or nine hours to hang out with my wife. That's, that's crazy. I grieve about those who are asleep. All right, some of you may be on to me. That's not really exactly what Paul is talking about here. Many authors of, of the Bible, they use the term sleep as a euphemism for death. Because death is it's, it's a sensitive subject. I mean, you, do, you don't want to just go out and say, so-and-so is dead. I mean, that's kind of sensitive, and you want to be careful with people's emotions and feelings. So many authors in the Bible, they use the euphemism of sleep for death. And we, to this day, we have euphemisms for death as well. We say, rather than so-and-so is dead, we say, oh, so-and-so kicked the bucket, or they, they passed away, or they're resting in peace. And I love that last one, rest in peace, because that's exactly 
what is happening. I mean, when, when we're dead, we're resting. Nothing more, nothing less. We're, we're just resting in the grave. We're asleep in the grave. So Paul here, when he's talking about those who are asleep and people grieving for those who are asleep, he's talking about people that are no longer living, that are resting in the grave. He's not talking about when you have those lonely hour two moments when your significant other is asleep, although I know that is sad at times. So here, if we continue, knowing that Paul is talking about death, he says in verse 14, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself, Jesus Christ himself, will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And so when you're dealing with, uh, the, struggling with the loss of a loved one, this passage can comfort you as Paul says that we can therefore encourage one another with these words. But I want, I want to emphasize verse 16, because this is the climax of what Paul is stating here. And in verse 16, Paul says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven. So yeah, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God right now, but one day he is going to descend to this earth. And with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, there's going to be a lot of commotion when Jesus comes and returns to the earth. I mean, the, the archangels are, are going to be uh, crying a command that there will be a loud trumpet for all to hear. And then the dead in Christ will rise first. So when Christ comes back, the dead in Christ are going to be resurrected just like Jesus was nearly 2,000 years ago. That, that, that's the hope that we have. This, this is known as the first resurrection. And the dead are Christ is just anyone who, who has fallen asleep in death and have given their life over to God. So any Christian that we know who, who has died in the past, they are going to be resurrected when Christ comes back to this earth. And Paul says in, in verse uh, 17 that they will always be with the Lord. They will be raised imperishable. They will no longer experience death they'll be raised imperishable as they will get to rule and reign with jesus christ their lord and savior that's the hope that we have in store for us when christ returns and so if we continue with this timeline uh, so we start with christ returns the, the next event that we're going to take a look at is the thousand year reign and, and we can see the thousand year reign described in revelation chapter 20 the very last book of your Bible, Revelation, and we're going to read uh, verses 4 through 6 of chapter 20. Now, it's only fair for me to inform you guys that some people view uh, the thousand-year reign as a figurative event, meaning it's, it's described in the Bible, but it's not literally going to happen in the future. And the main reason why people think that is this passage in Revelation 20 is the only passage that describes this thousand-year reign or this millennial reign. And so I, I can understand why some people view it as a figurative event. But I'm a simple man, and I, and I believe the Bible has a simple message. And I just like to read 
what it, read for what it says. And I believe that it says there's going to be a thousand-year reign. It appears to me that it's a literal event that's going to take place after Christ returns. And so we see, we read about this in Revelation chapter 20, verses 4 through 6. And this is a vision that John is having. John is the author of Revelation. And Revelation is really kind of a confusing book of the Bible as John it has all these crazy visions taking place. And in chapter 20, we see the vision of the thousand-year reign. And so verse 4 will start, and it says, this is John saying, Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands, they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. So again, I know this can kind of be a confusing language here and kind of confusing ideas as what's going to take place in the future, but we're going to try to go this at a slow pace here. So here we saw in 1 Thessalonians that when Christ returns, those who are dead in Christ are going to be resurrected. And they're going to be resurrected to, as an imperishable seed. They will no longer experience death. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. And so we see here that after they come to life, and they will reign with Christ for a thousand years. So after those Christians who have been dead, some for maybe 10 years or 100 years or thousands of years, after they've been raised to life, they will reign with Christ for a thousand years years. I mean, people who are part of that first resurrection, the resurrection that we want to be a part of, where when Christ comes back, the Christians will rise, the people are part of that resurrection, they're going to be princes and princesses. They're going to rule with Christ. They're going to have power and authority for a thousand years, and you're going to reign over the people on this earth. That's pretty cool. That's, that's a pretty cool future ahead of us that we get to be princes and princesses as we will rule and reign with Jesus Christ himself on this earth for a thousand years. A thousand years you'll get to reign with Christ and you'll be princes and princesses or kings and queens as you will rule and reign and you'll have the authority to judge. And so that takes place after Christ's resurrection. So if we remember... Christ, or Christ uh, returns to this earth. And then after Christ returns, then all those Christians are going to reign with Christ for a thousand years. So there's a big gap in time. And then after those thousand years, we, we come across what, what's known as the great white throne. Or this is, some of you guys, uh, is kind of a fancy term for judgment day. We come across judgment day after that thousand year reign. And we can read about uh, this great white throne or this judgment day in, in the same chapter, Revelation chapter 20. We'll read verses 11 through 15. We're skipping over verses 7 through 10, which just describe the defeat of Satan. So after Satan, Satan is defeated, uh, we see in verse 11, John continues the same vision. And he said, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, 
and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were open. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So this is the second resurrection. The first resurrection takes place when Christ returns, and then we have that thousand-year reign. And then after that thousand-year reign comes judgment day, or the great white throne judgment. And here this is, this is known as the second resurrection. And this is everybody who wasn't raised in that first resurrection when Christ returns, which again are basically the Christians. Everyone else is going to be raised. And these people, they are going to be judged according to what they had done. Now take note, it doesn't mention that, that the Christians, the people who were part of the first resurrection, were to be judged. It, it, it just takes note that the people that set part of the second resurrection were going to be judged according to what they had done. And God has what, what's called the book of life. Basically, if your name is in the book of life, you will receive e- eternal life. And for everyone's name who isn't written in the book of life, Uh, They'll be thrown into the lake of fire, and this is the second death, a permanent death. Uh, It's an eternal punishment as there's no chance of redemption. They will be permanently dead. So a scary future ahead for those people whose name is not written in the book of life. And so that's what we see the great white throne. So again, Jesus returns, the Christians are resurrected, the thousand-year reign, and Christians will reign with Christ. And then comes the great white throne judgment Uh, or judgment day, where everyone else will be resurrected, and they will be judged according to what they had done. And if they're found guilty, they'll be thrown into the lake of fire. So we want to be a part of that first resurrection. That's why some people, if you go someplace and you're expecting people to be there, but there's nobody there, that's why some people, you might hear the joke, oh, the rapture has come. That means that the first resurrection has taken place, and I'm not a part of it. And that's a scary future ahead. That, that's where people come up with this rapture idea. It's like, uh-oh, the rapture has come and we're, we're still here. That's not good news for us. And it's, it's, it's kind of a, it's a biblical idea there. And so after this great white throne judgment, after everyone who is found guilty is punished in the lake of fire, then comes the glorious ending where Jesus Christ himself will deliver the kingdom to his God and Father, our God and Father, Yahweh. And we, and we can see this described in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We, we have looked here before in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you remember, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 uh, is kind of known as being the resurrection chapter, as it's all about resurrection. It's about the resurrection of Christ and the resurrection of, of everyone else. So it's known as the resurrection chapter, 1 Corinthians Chapter 15, the resurrection chapter. And we'll be reading in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 through 26. And this is a dense piece of scripture right here. A lot is taking place and a lot for us to be very joyful about. And so Paul writes, this is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. He says in verse 20, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by man came death, By man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, 
so also in Christ shall all be made alive. So through Adam, we, we may remember the story in the Garden of Eden where, where he committed the sin, him and his wife Eve, they committed the sin and brought sin, and sin brought death. So through Adam, we, he brought death to everyone. But through Christ, all shall be made alive. If we continue verse 23, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. So there it, it, it aligns with, with the different theology going on here, different doctrines that Christ was the first one resurrected as he was resurrected uh, just three, on the third day after he was crucified. But at his coming will be resurrected those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. So here Paul's saying, the end is going to come where Christ delivers the kingdom over to his father and the last enemy to be defeated is death. There will be no more death. When, 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 God, when God's kingdom comes to this earth and, and in all of its full glory, there will be no more death. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain or sickness for the former things will have passed away. What a wonderful, wonderful hope that we have, a hope in the kingdom, a hope that we have that when Christ returns to this earth, we will be resurrected just like he was 2,000 years ago, and we will reign with Christ for 1,000 years, and then comes the judgment day when the guilty are thrown into the lake of fire, and then Jesus will deliver the kingdom to his Father, and we will live eternally with God in Jesus Christ here on this earth, a new heaven and a new earth, a new earth here, we are going to reign and rule with Jesus Christ and God. And God himself is going to be with us. God himself. You could have a conversation face to face with God. How beautiful is that image, having a face to face conversation with God and him telling all these stories of how much he loves you. And you can run up and, get, and give God a hug. You can run up and give, give Jesus Christ a hug. What a wonderful hope that we have. That the, the kingdom is coming. The kingdom is coming. Now, now a couple of events had to take place first. First, we, we saw that Christ has to return. Christ has to return to this earth where all Christians will be, will be resurrected. And then comes the thousand year reign where Christians will rule with Christ for a thousand years. Then comes the judgment day or the great white throne and those who aren't, uh, those whose names aren't found in the book of life, they'll be thrown into the lake of fire uh, where, where they will fall asleep and death. And then comes the end where Jesus delivers the kingdom over to God. Now I say the end, but it's not really an end. It's, it's a never ending story because the kingdom is never, never ending. Never ending, full of joy and excitement. There'll be no more sorrow or pain or sickness or death for the former things will have passed away. This message of the kingdom is what needs to be at the core in the center of our message. 
It's, it's, not, it's not a good news message. It's, it's not the gospel message without the message of the kingdom. It was so crucial to Jesus, and it should be so crucial to us as well. This is what we need to place our hope in. We have a glorious hope, a hope where we will get to endure, where everything wrong with this world will be made right in the kingdom. And that's what we have in store for us. And so that's what can encourage us and inspire us to live a better today. Live a day where we are growing closer to God and expanding his kingdom. For God doesn't want anybody to perish, but he wants everybody to be a part of that kingdom. And it's our job, but it's our responsibility to be planting those seeds and watering those seeds. And then God will provide the growth. So we have a wonderful hope in the kingdom. Now that hope that we have in the kingdom would not be made possible if it weren't for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We took a look on Good Friday how Jesus, he died and suffered on the cross for six hours. For six hours he hung on that cross. And his death paid the wages of our sin. And the wages of sin is death. Christ paid our debt. Christ paid our debt of sin, which is death. Thank goodness it was God's will to send Jesus Christ to die on, that, on the cross for our sins so that we can have a hope in the kingdom. Without Christ, we would have no hope in the kingdom because we would all be found guilty. None of our names would be found in the book of life. But because of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross, if we are faithful to God, if we are faithful to Jesus Christ, then our names can be found in the book of life and we can experience the pleasures of the kingdom. So thank you, Jesus Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. Thank you, God, for sending your son to this earth to die on the cross for our sins. And because of his sacrifice, we can put our hope in the kingdom. There's no better hope than the hope of the kingdom where everything wrong with this world will be made right. There's no better hope. And so as we transition into communion, if we could have the ushers come forward and, and Joey or Jen, one of you guys come here and play music. As we transition into communion, we, this is a time for us to remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. A time for us to remember all that he did on the cross as he paid the wages of our sin. You can take a seat. And Jesus, the night before he was crucified, he sat down with his disciples and they were celebrating Passover, the most important celebration for the Jews, and, and they were celebrating it, and Jesus took the bread that was on the table, and he told his disciples, take this bread, and this bread represents my body, my body that is soon to be crushed for your, your iniquities and pierced for your transgressions, and then he took the cup, and he said, take this cup, as this cup represents my blood that is poured out for you. Jesus went through a lot 2,000 years ago. And because of that, we can put our hope in the future coming of the kingdom. So at this time, I'll, I'll pray for the bread of communion. So feel about. Father God, I just thank you for the sacrifice of your son. Just thank you for the hope that we have in your coming kingdom. 
that's only made possible through the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ, your perfect son, the son that you always wanted and you had, but it's your will to send him. And his body was crushed for our iniquities. And Father, we thank you for that. We thank you for the greatest gift of love throughout all of history. And we love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.